I don't want to waste people's time. And I pray that you uh, as we meet here and talk about this chapter and preach on this subject, Lord, I pray you'd, uh, that your spirit would move me aside and that it would uh, minister to us, Lord, through me. And Lord, just help me to, to say the things you'd have me to say and, and that we could uh, be encouraged through your word. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Acts chapter number 3. We're preaching through the book of Acts. And um, we find here a very familiar story. If you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Uh, you know, I, I like that. It says that they, you know, they, they had a set time and they had a set partner, you know, that gives you accountability for their prayer. They, it says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. So they had a set time that they were going to come together and go into the temple and pray. And that's a good challenge, you know, if, if we, you know, the one thing that all Christians struggle with is prayer. You know, and, and that's the truth. I mean, everybody struggles. None of us pray as much as we uh, could or should or as much as we need to. But, you know, if we would set a time and maybe have a partner or someone, you know, to be accountable to, we'd probably get a lot more prayer done. But if you look down at verse number 2, the Bible says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now, this, uh, you know, what's going to happen here is really what this chapter and the next chapter is, is revolved around and what it is about. And if you notice, the Bible says there was a lame man from his mother's womb who was carried. And they set him at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms. Now that word alms there, that an alms, when you ask for an alms or you gave an alms, that was like money food or some sort of other donation that was given to someone who was poor or was needy, um, it was like giving to charity. It was giving somebody, it wasn't something that was given in, in a religious sense like an offering or your tithe, but it was something that was just given to an individual as to help them out, food, clothing, some sort of a donation. That's what an alms was. And the Bible says that there was a certain man laying from his mother's womb who was carried and he asked for alms. Now, I believe in the story that there's a spiritual application to the story and um, I and I want to share that with you. And I believe that this man uh, represents an unsaved individual who's going to end up getting saved. And let me show you uh, what I mean. If you go with me to Romans chapter number 5, I just want you to look at one verse in Romans chapter number 5. You're there in Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then we have the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse number 12. In Acts chapter number 3 and verse 2, it says that this man was lame from his mother's womb. That means he was born uh, crippled. He was born this way. And often in the Bible you will find that uh, a sickness or a disease is a representation, a spiritual uh, representation of uh, sin. And if you look at Romans chapter number 5 and verse 12, a very well-known verse, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man, referring to Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, the Bible says that we were born sinners. And we were born sinners because of Adam. Because of Adam's bloodline, and because we get our blood through our father, uh, the, the sin of Adam 
has infected each and every one of us. And it's not, you know, we were born that way. We were born sin, just like this man was born from his mother's womb lame. Uh, go with me to John chapter number 3. Look at verse number 18. John chapter number 3 and verse 18, right before the book of Acts. John chapter number 3, and if you look at verse number 18, the Bible says, another well-known verse. John 3.18, the Bible says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. So according to the Bible, how do you get not condemned? By believing on Him, Jesus Christ. But notice what it says. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Notice it doesn't say, he that believeth not is going to be condemned. It doesn't say, he that believeth not is going to get condemned. It says, he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So how do you get condemned already? Or why is it that someone is condemned already? If they never believe, if they never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, how are they already condemned? Because they're already a sinner. Because they've already broken the law. And we were born sinners is a problem. And I believe that's what this man represents in Acts chapter number 3. You can go back there to Acts chapter number 3. It says that this man was lame from his mother's womb. Uh, and he was, he was born with this... Uh, problem, this physical ailment. And I believe that represents the unsaved. We're born sinners. But notice what it says. It says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. The Bible tells us that there was individuals, there was people who were ministering unto this man, and they were carrying him, and they were helping him, and they were helping him in the way of helping him to be able to be fed, because they were carrying to him to a place where he could uh, ask for food. Now notice, you know, I believe this, these people here who were carrying, or it says, um, laying from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily. These people who would get up on a daily basis, and they would pick this man up, and they would carry him to the temple, and they would lay him down, and they were caring for him, and they were trying to help him. I believe these people represent the average church uh, in America today. The average church outreach ministry in America. They were carrying this man. They were helping in a charitable way. It wasn't a bad thing they were doing, but notice, there's nothing they could do to heal him. There's nothing they could do to help him. There's nothing they could do to make him walk, to make him whole, to make him perfect. But they were doing what they could as far as his physical needs. They were carrying him, they were taking him to a place, they were laying him there daily, the Bible says. They were doing this consistently in order so this person, and, and it might have been his family, it might have been whatever. But I, I believe that represents the average church outreach ministry. Because the average church in America today, their outreach, where they're going out and they're, they're uh, you know, going towards the community, they're trying to feed the poor, they're trying to feed the homeless. They're trying to give clothes to people. They're trying to give jackets to people. They're trying to build wells in South America and in Africa. They're trying to build schools and hospitals. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with giving somebody money. There's nothing wrong with giving somebody, uh, you know, used clothes or trying to feed them, having a, a, a can drive or anything like that. But the truth of the matter is that at the end of the day, that does nothing for them. This man was not made whole, was not made complete, was not having his desire fulfilled because of, he was able to beg for food. Yes, he got fed. Yes, he got clothed. But the people that were carrying him, the people that were laying him, had no power to be able to fix his problem. And they, they weren't doing anything. Day after day, they did the same thing. It was accomplishing nothing. And I just look around at America, I look at Sacramento, and I see church after church after church who has some sort of a charity this and a charity that, all sorts of money going towards all this. And I, and I look at our country and it just looks like it's not doing anything. 
And if you look at verse number 3, the Bible says, who's seeing, because, well, let's read verse 2. It says, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And notice what it says, And Peter, I, li- I like how the Bible works, it says, Peter fasting his eyes, or I'm sorry, fastening his eyes upon him. With John said, look on us. You know, Peter, the Bible says, you know, the Bible doesn't just throw in words just as, a, as some sort of fluffer, you know, because the Bible says that Peter looked at him. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, uh, where there is no vision, the people perish. And Peter had a vision. He was looking. He saw an individual. And he, and he saw more than just somebody asking for money. He saw more than just somebody, you know, kind of in the way. He saw more than somebody who was just inconvenient. He saw a human soul there. And he looked at him. And the Bible says he was fastening his eyes upon him. And he said, look on us. You know? And he, and he had a vision for this man. He, he looked at this man and he thought to himself, you know, there's something I can do for this individual. There's something I can help this individual. I can do something for him. And he said, you know, fastening his eyes upon him, with John said, look on us. Now look at verse 5. And he gave heed unto them, talking about the beggar, expecting to receive something of him. You know, that's a typical beggar. <laughs> he, he was expecting to receive something. He was expecting to get something. But then notice what Peter says. We, we, in verse 5 we got a typical beggar. And in verse 6 we got a typical preacher. He says, the Bible says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I not. <laughs> he said, But such as I have, give I thee. You know, he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. <laughs> you know, and, and the truth of the matter is this. You know, and, and I don't know, I, I was studying for this sermon and I was kind of writing some notes down. And as I, as, you know, as I was thinking about these things, I got a call last, I, I got a call yesterday. And I get this call maybe, I don't know, once every other week, sometimes once a week, I, you know, it varies. But every often, especially since we got our uh, church information on the yellow pages, I will get a call from somebody asking me to, you know, pay their bill. I, I, get, a, I, get, I got a call from a lady uh, you know, she called maybe three times asking if I could buy her a couch. And I think she, you know, because what these people do is they get the yellow pages and they just open up the churches. They start calling churches and they forget what churches they call. So, you know, I told her, well, uh, you already called me, you know. And, oh, I'm sorry, you know. But uh, people will call you and just say, could you buy me a couch? You know, I got yesterday. Could you pay my cell phone bills? $140. And I'm thinking about it. These people I don't know. You know, people I've never met. And they think, you know, because... Because that's what they expect churches to do. They expect churches to be some sort of a charity case. And I, you know, I often, I, one of these days I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask somebody, have you ever driven by our church? <laughs> you know, we don't have a lot of money. I don't know if you drive by our church and you'll look at our building and tell me if we got a lot of money. But, um, you know, often you get these people. And here's the problem. Today, people look at church as a place where they can just go and get a handout. I mean, go down to these huge churches. I remember, I don't know if, there, if there's one in, in this area, but I remember when we lived over in Citrus Heights area, in Roseville, there was a big church called, I think it was called the Adventure Church. I, I, I might be off on the name, but I think it was called the Adventure Church. It was a huge church. I mean, it had like maybe 5,000 people in it. And, the, and, and I remember when they had started, the way they got going is they just promoted anybody who came to church was going to get a big bag of groceries, like a ten, you know, ten dollar Walmart gift card, and this and that. And they're just promoting every week you come to church, you're going to get this, you know. And so people came, crowds came, because everybody's looking for a handout, you know. And I'm not against helping people. Obviously, we, you know, we've done that. We pay people's bills and we help people out, and we, have, I don't have any problem with that. But you know what? I, you know, after after eight months of pastoring a church, you know what I found is that. Paying somebody's bill 
doesn't get them to come to church. <laughs> it doesn't help in the slightest bit. In fact, I've, we've had, I've, we've literally had people come to this church who come consistently, and then you know we pay their PG&E bill, and then after we pay their PG&E bill, then they don't, then they don't come back. You know, it's like the opposite. It's what you know because helping people financially or just giving somebody out doesn't do anything for anybody. It doesn't help them. And I'm, and I'm not saying, you know, we're not against doing that. But so many churches have this, that you ask them, you know, what, what's, what's your goal? What is your goal, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What is it that you're trying to do for Sacramento? What is it that you're trying to do for the state of California? What is it that you're trying to do for America? And most pastors, you sit down and you ask them, and they're going to say, well, I want to, I wanna, uh, you know, have this sort of a uh, charity drive, and I want to have this school, and I want to have this college, and I want and they have all these ministries where they think, you know, they can help people, but really, what, what's going to help people is not just, you know, having all these ministries, there's nothing wrong with helping people, but what's going to help people is what Peter was talking about, he said, silver and gold have I none, but he said, let me tell you what I do have, he said, let, let me share with you something I do have, and he said, I don't have any money, and by the way, you notice there, the, the church, the young church in Jerusalem, obviously wasn't that into helping Poor people, because he said, I don't have any. He said, silver and gold have I none. But he did say this, he said, but such as I have, give I thee. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know, what Peter was interested was not in just, and this is what I'm trying to you know, get across tonight, is this. Peter was not interested in meeting a need for a moment. He was interested in changing a life that could meet its own need. He said, he, said, he said, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have give I thee. And in verse number 7, the Bible says, And he took him by the right hand, and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now notice this. Some people may have the power to change a life. Obviously, Jesus Christ did this through Peter. But Peter had the power of the Holy Ghost to be able to change a life. Peter had the, There was people in this man's life who had been carrying him on a daily basis. They had been helping him. They were caring for him. But they obviously did not have the power from God that they need to change his life in the way it needed to be changed. But Peter had it. Well, how did he have it? Well, we just spent two weeks in Acts chapter number 2. Peter had the power of the Holy Ghost on himself. He had the power of God. And he took him by the right hand. And he lifted him up off his feet. And the Bible says that immediately his feet and ankle bones received. Notice what it says. It says they received strength. Go, uh, go back with me to Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse number 6. Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse number 6. I believe this is a picture of salvation. When you receive strength is a picture of salvation. If you look at Romans 5, 6... The Bible says, in Romans chapter number 5 and verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So the Bible says that when we were without strength, when we were in need of salvation, Christ died for the ungodly. So see, you see that it's a picture of being without strength is to be unsaved. But when Christ strengtheneth, you, then that means you do get saved. So I believe this is a picture in Acts 37 that, uh, of salvation. I'm not saying that he got saved, but it's a picture of it because it says immediately uh, his ankles and bones received strength. So he was without strength and then he received strength. A picture of salvation. You know, Jesus can, well, you know, here's what you got to understand. Think, think, you know, when, when you're studying the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, Try to put yourself in the situation of these people. I, I try to put myself in the situation of these people. And I, and I think to myself, immediately, if I had been lame my entire life,
sudden, my legs have strength and I can walk. And obviously is what this man did. He began to leap and praise God. You know, and obviously you'd be excited and you'd be happy and you'd be glad. But you've got to understand this. Everything changes. Everything in his life changed. See, before he was carried. But now he can walk. But, you know, this is the amazing part. This is what you must think about. If I was someone, I don't know how old this man was. But if I was obviously an adult who spent my entire life being carried and now all of a sudden I had the ability to walk, you think you, you think you could walk by someone who was begging and not carry them? I mean, this man now, after spending his life being carried, now has the ability to walk, but with the ability to walk also comes the obligation to carry someone else. This man had spent his entire life begging for food. But now he can work. But not only can he work, but now he can give. Because others gave to him. You know, his entire life changed, but with the, 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 the change of life comes a responsibility. Because I don't think in good consciousness you could walk by someone who, maybe another individual, who was born lame, who was born crippled, who needs help. And, and this man just walked by them and not provide help. This man just walked by them and not ask, hey, can I carry you somewhere? Can I take you somewhere? Can I feed you? Can I give you money? You know, he was now indebted to the fact because his life had been changed to be able to help someone. And Jesus can take you from being a victim in need to being a helper able to meet other people's needs. And that is the goal of Verity Baptist Church. The goal of our church is not to feed someone. The goal of our church is not to clothe someone. The goal of our church is not to, to pay everybody's PG&E bill who wants to call. You know, that's not the goal. The goal of our church is to be able to reach people and give them the gospel and get them saved and give them the Holy Spirit and bring them to church and teach them the Bible and teach them character. We don't necessarily want to feed them as much as we just want to teach them how they can go work and feed themselves. We don't necessarily want to, you know, give them what they need as much as we want to tell them, hey, this is what you need. And this book right here is going to help you to develop character and develop discipline so that you can then in turn go and help somebody. That's what our goal is. You know, people say, well, do you want to, do you want to feed this people? Do you want to help these people? Do you have an outreach ministry? Our outreach ministry is to give people the gospel so that they can get up off their feet and walk in newness of life, like the Bible says. Let me show you a beautiful example. If you go with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 22 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter number 22. 1 Samuel 22.1 The goal of our church is this, and the goal of Peter. Peter said, I can't help you even if I wanted to. He said, you know, I have no gold. I have no silver. But I do have Jesus Christ. And I can give that away. And if you look at 1 Samuel chapter number 22, let me look at verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter number 22, look at verse number 1. There's a beautiful picture here. In 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and verse 1, the Bible says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. David is running, he's hiding. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down hither to him. And look at verse number 2. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. The Bible says that David was running for his life. 
His family comes with him, and along with his family comes every derelict in the city. I mean, every, everybody who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, everyone uh, who, who, who wanted to, uh, a new life, everyone who had ruined their life, who had messed up their life, who uh, had nothing to live for, they came out to David, and, and the Bible says he became a captain over them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was David, I'd look at these men and I'd think to myself, what am I doing? I'm out in the wilderness, I got all these, I got everybody Samuel chapter number 23, you see the result of David's ministry. Go over to 2 Samuel chapter number 23. 2 Samuel chapter number 23. Look at verse number 8. 2 Samuel chapter number 23 and verse 8. In the Bible we have a group of men called David's mighty men. And if you study out David's mighty men, they were called David's mighty men because they were mighty men. They were warriors. They were wonderful warriors, men of valor and strength. The Bible talks very highly of them. But you know where David found his mighty men? He found them in this group of people in distress, of people in debt, of people discontented. Let me just show you. Let me show you what David did. David took these 400 people who society rejected, who society did not want, who had nothing to live for, and look what he turned. Look at how the Bible describes these men. Second Samuel chapter number 23, look at verse 8. It says, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tecmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Esnite. He left up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines and were there gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah the son of Agi the Herorite and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground, and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Did you notice the guys fighting over a ground full of lentils? I mean, a bunch of beans. And he, and he fights them off. Look at verse 13. And three of the thirty chiefs went down, and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but he poured it out unto the Lord. David says, I wish I could have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And these three men broke into enemy territory to simply bring him back a glass of water. Look at 17. Verse 17, and he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that were went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these 
three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them and had the name among three. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain, howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Capsio, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of the pit in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And uh, the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked a spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. And he was more honorable than the third, than the thirty. And he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. And then later on, there throughout the rest of the chapter, it just goes on and it lists the names of these great and mighty warriors that David had that were known David's mighty men. But here's what you gotta understand. You know, someone might come to David and say, David, where did you find these warriors? I mean, you got a man here who slew a lion. You got a man here who plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's head and killed the with. You got a man who, who, these guys when they when I first met them and they were in debt they were in distress they they could not pull their lives together but see all throughout the Bible it's always been God's will that we help people you say how can we help people not with a temporary fix but help them get their lives together so that then they can go fight the fight so that they can go do what they need to do so that they can go so that they can walk so that they can help look at verse number eight in, in Acts chapter number 3, look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And he leaping up, talking about the lame man. And he leaping up stood and walked. And take note of this word. And entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. Notice that word. They saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now notice, the Bible says that others saw and they were able to identify the difference because they knew his past. Because he walked into a place where they could see him. He walked into the temple. But think about this. What if this man would have got healed and never walked into the temple? Let's say he would have got healed and he would have just gone home. Left town. Disappeared. And no one would have ever seen him walk. Would he have been any less healed? Of course not. You know, but people have this idea about salvation. They think, because I never saw a change, they must not actually be saved. People have this idea where, well, so-and-so says they got saved, but I never actually saw a difference. Well, look, you might only see a difference if you walk with the people that gave you the difference. Notice, he entered with them. He stuck with John. He stuck with Peter. He went to the temple, and then people saw the change. But if he wouldn't have stuck with John, if he wouldn't have stuck with Peter, if he would have left town, and no one ever would have seen the change, there still would have been a change there. There's still, and what I'm trying to tell you is this, don't ever judge somebody's salvation based on the fact that, well, I didn't, I didn't see a change. Well, look, you didn't see the Holy Spirit move in either. You didn't see, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, wash their sins away because that's something spiritual. But just because you don't see a physical change, it doesn't mean that a spiritual birth didn't occur. And this man had a changed life, but the only reason people identified it is because they saw it. But if they would have never seen it, he would have still been healed. 
But here's the thing. The fact that people saw it caused them to marvel and, you know, see the miracle and, and identify that with the power of God. So, people should see a difference. It's a good thing that people see a difference. When somebody can say, there should be a change. But just because we don't see a change doesn't mean that there wasn't uh, salvation. Look at verse number 11. And the lame man, which was healed, look what it says, held Peter and John. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon, greatly wondering. The Bible says that he held Peter and John. You know, that's a, that's a, that's, that, that's a right response. I, 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 will, I will never get over this. You know, I, I go out soul winning every week, and, and often we'll see people saved. And I've had so many people say this to me. I get somebody saved. You know, I give them the gospel. They accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'll be so thankful. They'll say, no one's... The people will tell me, I've gone to church my entire life. People tell me, I'm a deacon at this church. I've literally, you know, led deacons of other churches. So people will tell me, oh, I've gone, I'm a Sunday school teacher at this church. I've gone there for 20 years. And no one's ever explained this to me. Oh, I'm so thankful that you showed me the gospel. And I'm so glad that I'm saved, you know. And then I'll ask people, I'll say, man, we'd love for you to come by and visit with us at our church on Sunday. And then they'll say, well, I've got my church I go to. I think to myself, is that the same church that for 20 years never gave you the gospel? The same church that, for as long as you've been going there, never presented to you the plan of salvation. I mean, if you would have died, they would have just let you die and go to hell. They didn't give you the gospel, they didn't care enough to give you the gospel, but once somebody else gives you the gospel, then, I mean, you still want to go to that church. And, and I mean, it happens so often. I, I, I know it's true because it happens all the time. I just never understand it. You know, I, I would think that the proper response would be like this lame man. Peter just healed me. I'm going to hold on to Peter. I'm going to stick with Peter. I'm going to walk with Peter. I'm going to go with Peter. But, you know, that's the right response. Unfortunately, people don't have that response. But look at verse uh, 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? And why look ye so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk. And he's, you know, what's Peter doing? He's giving God the glory. You know, whenever we do something great for God and God allows us to have a part in the victory that He, that, that he provides, we should immediately acknowledge and give that glory to God. Uh, look at verse number 18. And the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined... To let him go. Now if you look at verse number 13. I really want to cover this. I, I think we got 15 minutes. So, If you look at verse 13. It says. Jesus whom ye delivered up. And denied. So according to Acts 3.13. Who did they deny? Jesus. Do you see that? They delivered him up. And they denied him. So it says. Jesus whom ye de- delivered up. Whom ye denied, is the idea. They denied Jesus. Look at verse 14. But ye denied the Holy One, and the Just One, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Peace, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are also witnesses. So you notice, in verse 13, he says, Jesus, whom ye denied. And in verse 14, he says, ye denied the Holy One. So he's saying, you denied Jesus, and then in the next phrase he says, you denied the Holy One. What is he saying? Jesus is the Holy One. Now he said, well, what is the Holy One, or who is the Holy One? Well, let me just show you a few passages. Uh, go into Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 71. 
There are about 70 references in the Bible to the Holy One. But let me just show you a couple of them. Psalm 71, look at verse number 22. Psalm 71 and verse number 22. Psalm 71, 22 says, I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth. Look what it says. Oh my God. So who's the psalmist talking about? God. G-O-D. He says, Oh my God, unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou Holy One of Israel. So according to Psalm 71, 22, who is the Holy One? God. I mean, did you see that? Psalm 71, 22, I will praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou Holy One of Israel. So Psalm 71, 22, we see there that the psalmist refers to God as the Holy One of Israel. Look at Psalm 78, 41. Just the next psalm over. Psalm 78, verse number 41. Psalm 78, 41. The Bible says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Let me read that for you again. Psalm 78, 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Of Israel. Let me show you another example. Go with me to Isaiah chapter number 30. Isaiah chapter number 30. Look at verse number 15. Isaiah chapter number 30. And look at verse number 15. Isaiah 30, 15. Isaiah is the first big book of the prophets there. Isaiah chapter number 30. Look at verse number 15. Isaiah 30, 15 says. This is a, this is a, a, a good one here. Isaiah 30, 15 says. For thus saith the Lord God. You see that? Capital G, capital O, capital D. Thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and he would not. So according to Isaiah 30, 15, God is the Holy One of Israel. Let me show you one more. Isaiah 43, verse 3. Isaiah 43, verse number 3. Isaiah 43, 3, the Bible says this. In Isaiah 43, 3, it says, for I am the Lord. Notice that it says, that Lord there is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see the, that word Lord in all capitals there, that is Jehovah. It's, that's what the, it's replacing there. In the King James Bible, whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's the name of Jehovah there. You say, well, why, why did the King James translators uh, translate that way? Well, they translated that way because that's how uh, God translated it. In the old, you, you can find in the New Testament, often in the New Testament, uh, when they're quoting a verse in the Old Testament that had the name Jehovah, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ would quote it as Lord. So the uh, King James translators took the lead of Jesus Christ and uh, translated it like that as well. But they did it in all capitals to let us know that that's not Lord like your boss, but Lord like the Lord, you know, Jehovah God. So notice what it says. It says, For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Serba for thee. So there, I mean, he covered all of it. He said, I am the Lord, Jehovah God, thy God, the Holy One of Israel, and then he throws in thy Savior. You say, well, I thought the Savior was Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the Savior. And now here it says that God is the Savior. Well, I just showed you four verses where it says that the Holy One is God. 
But Peter said that Jesus was the Holy One. He said, well, what's the deal? Well, it's just simple to understand. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. God is the Savior. God is the Holy One. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Holy One. Same person. Same person. And that's why in Acts chapter number 3, you can go back to Acts chapter number 3, he said, Peter referred to Jesus Christ as the Holy One. You think, you know, Peter obviously knew what he was doing when he said that. He was telling him, this is God. This is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 16. We still have, we, we have time. Look at verse number 16. In verse 16, Acts chapter number 3, in verse 16, the Bible says, And His name, through faith in His name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So according to the Bible, how, why was this man healed? Because of his faith. Again, a picture of salvation. But notice what it says, the first, the first uh, phrase there. It says, and His name, referring to Jesus Christ, the Holy One. His name is one thought. And then He says, through faith in His name. That's a separate thought. What Peter is explaining, he's explaining to them how this man got healed, which represents salvation. And he says, here's how he got healed. Through Jesus but also through faith in Jesus. Okay, salvation is given unto us through Jesus plus our faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot, here's, here's what, people have this misconception. They think, well, Jesus died on the cross for all our sins, so everybody's going to heaven. I don't have to get saved. Well, I'm already saved. Well, the thing is, simply Jesus existing and dying on the cross does not save you. Because what you need for salvation is Jesus and the, your faith in Jesus. See, just having Jesus doesn't save you. And in the same token, just having faith doesn't save you. People say, well, I have faith. You know, I believe in all religions. I, I, I think they're all, you know, all roads lead to heaven. And I have faith in all of them. Well, we're going to die and go to hell. Because you've got to have faith, yes, but not just faith in anything. Faith in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. So he had to have Jesus, and then he had to have the faith in Jesus. And that's how he received the strength, which is a picture of salvation. He says, whom ye... Uh, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness and the uh, presence of you all. Let me show you one more thing and we'll be done. Uh, let, let's just skip some of these verses here for sake of time. Well, let's just read them real quick. Look at verse number 17. He says, And now, brethren, I wot, that, that word wot there means to know. He says, I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your, your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. He says, repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And notice what he says. I want you to notice these words. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Notice the phrase, the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until, and notice this phrase, the times of restitution of all things which God had spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice there was two different times referred to them. In verse 19, he referred to the times of refreshing. In verse 21, he referred to the times of restitution. We've got there the times of refreshing versus the times of restitution. He said, what does that mean? Don't turn to these passages. Let me just read it for you for sake of time. But the word refreshing there has to do with rest. Isaiah 28, 12, the Bible says, to whom he said, 
This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. The word refreshing has to do with rest. If you do a study in the Bible of the word refresh, you will find it correlated with the concept of the Sabbath day. And God will say that in the Sabbath day you are to rest and you would be refreshed. So that, that terminology, refreshing, refresh, has to do with resting and with the Sabbath, the day of rest. And it has to do with resting. So we've got there the times of refreshing or the time of rest versus the time of restitution. You say, what does the word restitution mean? Well, let me read this for you. Exodus 22. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you for sake of time. Exodus 22. The Bible says in verse 3, If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So it's talking about someone who's stole something, and they need to make full restitution. If the, theft, if the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, and shall, be, and shall put in his beast, and shall feed in another man's field, of the beast of his own field, and of the beast of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. If fire break out and catch in thorns, so that the uh, sta stacks of corn, or the standing corn, or the field be consumed... Therewith he shall he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of, out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief be not found, then the master of his house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he hath put his hand unto his neighbor's good. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox or for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any uh, manner of lost thing which another challenges to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges and whom the judges shall condemn he shall pay double unto his neighbor if any if a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep uh, and it die or be hurt or driven away no man seeing it then shall an oath of the Lord be uh, between them both that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's good but the owner of it shall accept thereof and he shall not make it good and if it be stolen from him he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof Exodus 22 deals with the subject of restitution. And I just wanted you to get from that concept is this. The word restitution has to do with judgment. It has to do with balancing the scales. It has to do with uh, making something good. He says if you stole something from someone and it was caught in your hand, you have to make restitution. If you uh, started a fire and it caused you know, someone's farm to burn down, you have to surely make restitution. You have to uh, you know, make the scales balance. You have to repay that. And in Acts uh, chapter number 3, we find two different times. The times of refreshing, and we find the times of restitution. And really that's what it's all about. When we go out and give the gospel to people, when we go out and try to help people, we're trying to help them be in one of these times and not in the other. Because when you get saved, the Bible says you will enter into His rest. When you get to heaven, heaven is rest. It's refreshing. It's refreshment. And we will get into the times of refreshing. But if you don't get saved, the Bible says, you will enter into another time, which is the time of restitution. Where you will be judged for your sins. And in hell, the balances will be, will be uh, made right. And you will make right your sin. And that's what it's all about. You say, why do you go out so many? Why do you knock on doors? Why do you start this church? Why do you, you try to get people saved? Why do you try to change people's life? So that they could enter into the time of refreshing and not have to enter into the time of restitution. That's what it's all about. 
It's about getting people saved, but not just saved, it's about helping people. It's not just feeding them. And I'm not against feeding them. Jesus fed people. Jesus fed the 5,000, you know, with, with the loaves and the fishes there. But He also helped people so that they could go out and do something. God's mode of dealing with people is helping someone so that they can in turn go help somebody else. That's why we got the gospel. Somebody got saved and they gave the gospel to somebody else who gave the gospel to somebody else who gave the gospel to somebody else who eventually gave the gospel to you and I. And that's God's mode. That's God's plan. God's plan is that we help somebody not just carry them so they can go beg. Not just daily help them. But like Peter say, we might not have much here at Mary Baptist Church. You know, I'm going to start telling people when they call me and they say, Oh, I'd like you to pay my... I'm going to say, silver and gold have I not. <laughs> but that was I have. Hey, come to church on Wednesday night. I'll give, I'll give you that that I do have. You know, But um, that is what we're trying to do. And that's what our goal should be. To help people so that they can then go out and help somebody else. And that they can work and walk for themselves. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Give me Father... Thank you, Lord, so much for Acts chapter number uh, 3 and for the things that we can learn from it. And, Lord, I, I pray you, 